0: I am so glad that you are here in the vault because today we have pulled out some of our more precious items out of the vault, but they're not necessarily expensive. They're just extraordinarily rare. Um, If anybody has a child that is nearing the age of unbelieving, this is the episode for them. We have... We have some actual items from Santa. We also... um, I'm going to share a story with you that I have not shared before about the birth of Christ and um, the actual manger, or what people believe is the actual manger. But something that is not very rare anymore, but... I would have been a king 2,000 years ago, and I sat here with these three items. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were the gifts from the wise men. I don't even know how to light this as incense. I told that you just hold the flame to it. Oh, there it goes. I have no idea what frankincense even smells like. Um, But gold, frankincense, and myrrh were the gifts of the three wise men. And they were kingly gifts. Um, uh, Incense uh, for um, the priest, um, myrrh for the anointing, and gold for a king. I don't think it's supposed to burn. So far it doesn't smell like anything. If you've ever been to a Catholic funeral, I know what frankincense is now. Um, Frankincense and myrrh are both a resin. And the reason why this was so expensive is because of the way it was farmed, if you will. I didn't know anything at all about frankincense until we did research for a book that I put out uh, called The Immortal Nicholas. And I just want to read just the first couple of pages because in the first couple of pages, the main character who becomes the immortal Nicholas, um, in the first few pages, he is a frankincense farmer. And I want you to, I just want you to listen to what it took to be able to grab frankincense. Sometimes, death is a simple thing, a slip of the foot, a shift in the wind, or a fall. Agios had faced death often in his 33 years. He'd been an adventurer, a hunter, and, to tell the truth, something of a rogue. He had always expected to die by violence, his blood spilled and his body racked with agony. After he married the gentle foreigner named Wileia, he had begun to consider his ways of life and death, though. For her sake, he had hoped that when his time had come, he would die well as a man, not crying like a child or pleading for mercy. mercy. But when their son Philos was born, Agios wanted to be even more strong for him. For years, the boy had been begging to go with his father to the savagely dangerous land of bare sun-struck stone and rocky crags. Now they stood together, a muscular, broad-shouldered man with flowing midnight black hair and a long black beard, and beside him the thin-limbed lad, only ten. The previous winter, his mother had died in premature t- childbirth, along with Philos's stillborn younger brother. The loss of his mother had left the boy pale and unsmiling, and had left Agios feeling that his heart had turned to lead. And so, Philos was coming with him on this trip, not as a gift— but as necessity. So, I want to paint the scene. This is one of the worst, most dangerous, um, sunlit, craggy, sharp places on the planet. That's the first thing you have to paint in your mind. Now they stood at the top of the cliffs where the trees grew. Looking down the sheer rock face, Agios had already taken the resin from the first small grove of trees they had come to, and now they had reached the true orchard of wealth. The way frankincense grows or is taken or harvested is it grows, the trees grow on the sheer rock face out like this. So you have to stand up on the top and you... You, uh, with a rope, scanter down to the trees and then cut with your knife a piece in the bark and slants in the bark. And that causes the tree to weep resin. You leave it there and then you come back and the longer you wait to come back, the more resin there is, the harder it is, the more valuable it is. But because it's so valuable, as long as you're willing to rappel down a cliff face, anybody can get it. But that's why in the book we continue to talk about how, what the dangers are and how you have to remember that you're not just looking for the golden tears from the tree against the rock face and the fall. But they've also filled all of the trees with snakes. Now you have asps in the trees as they writhe. Looking at a, a cliff in those days where frankincense was being harvested would have been quite amazing as the trees looked as though they were moving. But it wasn't the wind with deadly snakes to keep those who might steal the precious resin. They would go up, move the snakes, take a knife, chip off the resin, put it in a bag, and it was probably about this much that would have been given to Jesus on his birth. Today, we open up the vault and we show you the trappings of Christmas that we have collected. I want to stay with the Christ child here for a little bit longer. Gold... Uh, frankincense and myrrh, I believe, um, were the gifts. And the three wise men, I'm not sure if, maybe, I'd, I'm not sure which one is a shepherd here. That's a shepherd. This must be a wise man. The three wise men came, but they didn't, they didn't come at the birth. They came months and months and months later. Jesus, I think, was three at the time and certainly wasn't in the manger. This set is um, from a friend of mine who got it over in Israel. It's actually Jeremy, who's the curator of our museum. He got this over in Israel. This is, this is all um, uh, olive wood, and olive wood is, is what's up in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we think of the manger like this. We think of Mary and Joseph like this, I was um, shown what was said to be, at the time, the manger of Christ. I don't know if it was or not, but it didn't look like this. Um, in fact, uh, it you know we usually see them now as like little wood uh, pieces coming in like this, and you fill it with hay. Um, it it wasn't made out of wood. Uh, It was actually, it was about this tall, if you put it down on the ground, came up to almost my hip. Uh, And it was round, about this big, and carved out in the center. It was a feed um, bucket, if you will, but it was also used, I'm told, traditionally, where they would take the first-born calf, the first fatted calf, and they would put that calf after they were born in the manger um, and feed the calf again. Whether that's true or not, and it was in that manger, I don't know, but <clears throat> the manger would have been empty and ready for that firstborn. And so it didn't look... Like this, the baby would have been in swaddling clothes and laid down beneath the stone-carved manger. This particular manger was interesting. It was in the right general area and had been marked on the floor about the 3rd century A.D., as the birthplace of christ with mosaic it was quite stunning whether it looked like that or with the usual little roof that we see nobody really knows but did it happen yes and how we can confuse the truth of Christ and his birth with another that we expect children to believe, Santa, has always been troublesome for me until my child, who was at the age of unbelieving, um, Received a letter from Santa Let me share that every child goes through a period of time when they are told in school that Santa isn't real and That he doesn't exist and one year unbeknownst to me uh, and anybody in the family my daughter Hannah when she was very young Uh, she didn't believe in Santa. And she wrote a letter, instead of writing it with me or her mom, she wrote a letter and put it in the mailbox herself. And she asked Santa for one thing. If you're real, I don't want a gift. I just want to know that you exist. Will you leave me a bell from your sleigh? Well, that morning on Christmas, when she came down the stairs, disappointed, because there was all kinds of toys and gifts underneath the tree, but there wasn't a sleigh bell. We had discussed that there was a big storm that had happened at the house the night before, and that we should go out the next morning and check in the snow and see. Well, that next day, probably about noon, she waited for me to come home. I I came home with her and, We looked, and there by the chimney in the snow was this sleigh bell. I had it framed for her a couple of Christmases ago, now that she's with her own two children. But like I said, all kids kind of go through this. My youngest daughter, Cheyenne, when she was nine, was asking the same questions about Santa. She was left this amazing glove. As you can see it says Claws here and you can even see where the the reins had been held for a very long time. He's kind of a big man but these are tight fitting gloves even for me. But he's got hands about my size. Believe or not he answered it best for her in this letter that she has kept now in this glove if I may share it my dearest Cheyenne you're coming to the age where most children begin to question the spirit of Christmas and whether or not I'm real it breaks my heart that as children grow the magic that we have shared over the years and childhood begins to fade and is eventually forgotten I wanted you to know how dear and precious you are to me. I have so enjoyed watching you grow over the years, and know that you will grow into a beautiful, talented, smart, and most of all, kind and charitable woman. You must never doubt the spirit of Christmas, the joy of giving, the importance of laughter, and the dearness of a child that is in need. As the years go by, you will need to help me help others. Help them see even if they no longer believe in me, that the spirit of Christmas lives deep within you and deep within them. This spirit is the spirit of the ever-loving and ever-living Christ, the baby whose birthday I mark every December 25th. Grow close to him and search for him and serve him always, just as I serve him. This Christmas, I'm leaving you something very special to me, "'My glove. Mrs. Claus made these herself "'to keep my hands warm on my yearly trip. "'I will keep my hand in my pocket for the rest of the night "'and keep it warm, as it is important to me "'that you never forget this year of magic "'and the warm feelings of giving and receiving. "'May those feelings aid you for the rest of your days, "'and may his spirit warm your heart "'as this glove has warmed my hand.' In the name of Christ, I leave this special gift for you alone. S. Claus. Anyone doubts? The spirit of Christmas burns fiercely in your heart and will keep you warm the rest of your life. So, Ellen, you were with me when we saw what some claim is the actual manger. Um, was it different than you thought?
1: The, main, the, manger, yeah, the manger itself? Manger. Completely different. I Not like
0: anything I've ever seen. No.
1: And I I had bought into the whole crash thing that I've seen. You know, right. Like you said, the yeah. wooden box with the yeah. crossed legs. Right. I mean, the I don't know it. why... Mm -hmm. It had never occurred to me to look Mm -hmm. up one. I guess that seems so logical, right? Looking at that box and knowing that it was in a stall where horses were. I mean, that looked, and I'm sure there were some that were like that.
0: Right. There are some wooden ones. Most of the things are big. If you look, if you Google, you know, original manger, you, you won't see what we saw. But you will see big stone, slab stones about this big that are, kind of oval shaped and cut out like a trough.
1: I mean just really like a horse trough, trough. that you see today. I mean right. it's, it's interesting. Except carved out of stone. Right. Except carved out of beautiful yeah. stone. Right. But this one was not quite like that.
0: No. This reminded me very much of um the end of Indiana Jones where, you know, pick the right cup and it's not the thing you would pick as the manger. But the way they described the area at the time if this was indeed, you know, the birthplace of Christ, who knows? It was everybody claims. You know, it's kind of like George Washington slept here. <laughs> um, Jesus was born here over in the Middle East, but um, uh, a, a cave-like. Right, because they didn't
1: describe it. They didn't describe it as a little wooden stable no, either.
0: A, it was a cave-like area um, that that um, had the main, the big stone manger where they would have fed. And then, at the time, there would have been like a in a fenced in pen area
1: right it was more it was more like they found a cave, put a fence around it, and so there was some sort of shelter yes. for animals to go in yes, because there was a natural space there right
0: and, that, and it wasn't a big barn it. or yeah right. it wasn't a big barn or anything
1: but but real or not, what did you feel like when you i mean as you looked at it if and even thought there's a possibility, if this isn't the one, pretty humbled. It isn't, yeah, if this isn't the one, it is.
0: Yeah, pretty humbled. It's like it.
1: Correct. It's It's, it's like at it. least something from that
0: time. And it's not like what you see in the.
1: Yeah, and I remember being um, here in your vault with you when you um, took out some silver coins, mm-hmm. like the ones Judas would have gotten, yeah, yeah. and put them in my hands. And I think, and it was, I mean, it was truly life changing, right? Like to hold yeah. something and think, so this, these are not necessarily the coins, but this is exactly the thing that would have been Given there birth. at that moment. Yeah. And so whether that was the real manger or not walking up to something that is from that same time period and, and thinking it, there's the, some overwhelming feeling of what it, yeah. what it was really like.
0: Something game changing about Israel. When you go to Israel,
1: I've never been.
0: You've never been? I've never been. Oh my gosh. Oh, Ellen, you have to go. It's it's worth it's worth selling your car to be able to go. It really is. It is it's worth taking a bus to work for a year to be able to go. Um it's um unlike anything I've ever experienced. So humbling. And it's all real. It's, it's just, it's there. It's all there. And you, you know, when you sit across from the Temple Mount, there's a church that I go to that is, the Garden of Gethsemane is right there. And here's this church up on the hill, and it looks down into the valley up to the wall of, of the Temple Mount. And to see the gate that will be, and, and it's it's bricked in, and it talks about it just just as in the Bible, that it will be bricked up and the Savior will come and blow the bricks out. And you're sitting there and you're looking at it, and you just, I mean, you can't believe, it's just, it's, it's crazy.
1: I do think that that must be a very interesting feeling, because it's so interesting to just be here and... Touch history in a, in what is a small way, but to be somewhere where you're immersed in it i mean that's almost that's like that's what Disney tried to accomplish yes. by building something like Disneyland. Yeah. Here yeah. are these places where you can come get the feeling yeah. but to know you're re- you're really there there,
0: there was uh, there's a church, this beautiful church up on uh, just below the garden or actually across the street from the garden of Gethsemane um, which they uh, he, every again. Every church has their own kind of thing. Catholics with Constantine came over, and it wasn't Constantine; it was Constantine's mom, and she was like, "Oh yes, that place, mm-hmm. that tree." Mm-hmm. And so yeah, she didn't know, um, but that's how a lot of this stuff started. But we know the general area of the Garden of Gethsemane. We know we know that's the garden. What rock right. he prayed at? Well, I don't know. Well, and, knows.
1: and certainly, even if he had prayed at a specific one, it's a lot of years ago, right. it could have moved.
0: But there's this church, and I don't remember what it's called, um, but it is, they say, the rock that he prayed at. And it's this huge, gigantic rock that the entire church has been built around. So you walk in, and there is no altar or pews. It's this empty, old, ancient church. And all of the stained glass windows are um, midnight blue and purple, okay? So when you come in, it's blazing bright outside. When you come in, it's all purple stained glass with little teeny yellow stained glass pieces. So it looks like the night sky. Wow. I mean, it's beautiful. And um, I remember walking in there and kneeling down, and not even necessarily believing that that was the rock. But this rock is almost flush to the floor, and it has about this big, all the way around, um, metal, gold, brass, whatever it was, um, thorns all the way around it to protect it. Okay, And... Tanya and I walked in and we were pretty much alone and it's it's the blue and the black of midnight and we knelt down at that rock and I remember wanting so much to touch the rock and you can there's no rules against right. it absolutely feeling not worthy to touch the rock it it is uh, it's a powerful powerful place I, I went and I was um, in Jerusalem and we were just we were walking and seeing a lot of things and you can make the stations of the cross okay and um, and you know this is where jesus wept the, or you know wiped the face and um uh, veronica wiped his face and um you know this is where he fell the third time we weren't making the stations of the cross this was so intense to me we were just going and we were seeing a bunch of things quickly um because i think i was putting together a tv show or something and i come around a corner, and um, you're kind of coming down a hill, a little hill, and I come around a corner, it's cobblestone streets, and rock streets, and come down around, and I hit a corner, and as I come around the corner, I trip, and I fall, and I'm down on my on my knees, and I'm getting up, and I'm feeling really stupid, and I look up, and there's a plaque for the Stations of the Cross where Jesus fell the first time. And I'm thinking, the same rock, the same, this is where, right. he, you know, this is where he tripped. It's, it's just so real.
1: But isn't that the whole reason that you are so, feel so compelled to do what you do here? Yes. Is because it makes it so much more real to... When you touch it and you see it, 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 I don't know, for me, it completely changes it. And I've never, I, I'm the person who throws all of her kids, you know, schoolwork away. I, mean, I like that. I don't like to keep anything. That's so much trouble. It's so hard. I, I don't like that. But coming here and holding on to those things, uh, seeing Mary Todd's dress, seeing the slave chains, it, it, make, it changes something in those stories when you, when you see the chain.
0: I think it changes, I was just talking to my sister, Michelle, about this, kind of. She was decorating her Christmas tree, and I had been decorating mine. And it was so funny, because neither of us knew we did this. She decorates her Christmas tree with all of my mother's Christmas ornaments. And I decorate our Christmas tree with all of my grandmother and grandfathers. Wow. And um, so we were up after Thanksgiving, and we were decorating. And my son touched the Christmas lights on the Christmas tree, And he was like, oh, my gosh. And we just (laughs) plugged them in. They were flaming hot. How people did not burn their houses down is beyond me. Um, But for me, it doesn't have to be something rare. As there's something tangible to a sock made by a mom for her son. Um, getting up on Christmas, mine was the choo-choo train sock. You know? And and who even does this anymore? So is that yours? No, this is... We found this. Um, it's not mine. It looks exactly like mine growing up.
1: So your mom made your sock.
0: My mom made all of the socks. And it
1: was similar to this. Yes.
0: look. I mean, look at this. We found... We found these three, and I bought them because they reminded me of my mom. And they were like $3. I love them. Oh, they're beautiful. 1951. Both of these socks are marked 1951. Look at the beadwork. And this is what my, like my mom used to do stuff like this. Wow. Look at that.
1: That's extraordinary. That's
0: Did your really mom not do that? No. No? <laughs> no?
1: No, my mom did sew my clothes, though. And I do think that you're right. I think there is something um, when when you have something that your mom has made or that has been passed down to you. I use my, my, the measuring cup I use in my kitchen is my grandmother's. That's the measuring cup. My
0: toaster is my grandmother's. And
1: there is, so the items connect you to them, and, but... That's what I mean. You can hold the slave chain. It's not whether it's rare or not. It's that it connects you to that moment yes. in history. When you have to hold the item, all of a sudden, you are transported. It, 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 I just didn't know how important it would be. So, you know, not everybody can collect things, but they don't have to collect them. They can go to the historical places in their own area. I mean, they but can well, have this experience. Have
0: to, you don't even have to do that. We are living in such a disposable world. When you ask me, is this yours, oh, what I would give to say yes.
1: But it is someone's, right? Like someone else's mom made this. No, I know, no, I know that. This I and... know that.
0: But what I'm saying is you don't have to be a collector. No. Just don't be so disposable.
1: Right. That's what it taught me. That's why I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm the person who's like, oh, my goodness, this is like the 18th math paper this week. I don't need to keep them all. Uh, no, I want to keep them you know i want some of them. Yeah.
0: yeah i don't i wouldn't look fondly back to my math papers but <laughs> uh, probably cuz i got really bad scores in math but uh <laughs> there are some things my daughter mary made me a little coin dish when i was little i love it i still have it um you know, there are things. I don't even have coins in my pocket anymore. No one will even know what a coin dish is. You're right. No one will know what this a coin morning, dish I, is. This
1: morning, I left all of my pennies and nickels even when I bought something at the store because I didn't want
0: to have those coins. I'm going to carry those around. Yeah. Did you make? Your mom didn't <laughs> make them, but did you?
1: My mom did not make. I, I had a store-bought stocking that I still have. I use the same stocking now. When Santa comes to my that house had- that I had when I was a little girl, it's about this big. It, it has been mouse-eaten. It has holes all over it. I use the same one. Um, but I, I made my kids' stockings, and it's because my daughter's one. We are visiting his sister, his grandma, his mom is there, so grandma's there. Everybody's there. We're hanging up the stockings. We've bought her a stocking. We're hanging up the stockings. It's oh, boy. Christmas Eve. It's about 4.30, 5 o'clock Christmas Eve. We're hanging them up. And my husband looks at me and goes... Yeah, my mom made all of our stockings. So oh I rushed gosh. to the store. Rushed, this is rushed. when
0: you're still young and married. just yeah. You, yeah. Yes. So and it's you you're think early in you, you life. oh my gosh, to, I have to. I
1: have to make it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pounding on the door crying. You have to let me into the fabric store. And I made, I made one that night. I mean, now I've made all of my kids their stockings since then. And I stupidly made them huge. They're about this big. Santa has a lot of work to do when he comes to my house.
0: Yeah, look at this little fold here, only in the front. You're not putting anything in here. You're not putting anything. I know. See, Santa
1: loves that mom. Santa is angry when he comes to my house. Santa is
0: happy with this, (laughs) and mom and dad are happy with that one, too. I'm just telling Jeremy that, you know, we did the research for the Santa Claus, um, his story the other day, and i'm i we have to have in the vault a copy of washington irving's story it 's the history of New York by so and so Knickerbocker, which was his pen name okay um and uh it's the first time that Santa was introduced in eighteen o five and he was twenty two years old and um he wrote it and after doing that episode and doing all the research on Santa, I understood. I understood Thomas More, uh, uh, not Thomas More. Uh, Thomas, what was his name? Um, the guy who did the "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Clement Moore, and um, I understand the words of that poem now, and oh, okay. why it was written that way. And nobody. Santa was on the verge of dying out until that, until 1805. And we didn't celebrate Christmas in America, a first official holiday. Christmas was made an official holiday the first time in Alabama, 1836.
1: I did find that such a fascinating thing, that we thought of it as so sacred that we wouldn't have celebrated it in these pagan yeah, we paganist. Have... I mean, you would have just celebrated right. it in your heart. is yeah. kind of the you know the right. thought. You might have had a religious ceremony, but that would at church. But yeah. that would have been it.
0: And there were several times in history where Santa and the garishness of presents and everything was overthrown, and the churches kind of reset it, and then brought it back, and then Santa. But Santa never kind of went away, and then we got too out of control, and I mean, it's really. It's
1: interesting though, because now even with. Um, with it, how commercial it is, mm-hmm. I and I'm very religious, so I like the all the religious aspect. But I would miss, I would miss Christmas. I mean, I would miss the trappings oh, of I Christmas. I, of yeah. I don't think
0: you would be able to. I don't think you'd be able to pull it away.
1: And I like yeah. that. And I like that it makes me think about Jesus not just for the day, but for a whole season. Right? Like yeah. it lasts the now for such is, a long the, time. The problem
0: is, is the commercialization. I know. You know the number. Do you know the number one gift in 1900? The number one and number two gift for children on their wish list. They're asking for something. 1900, what was the number one and number two gift for Christmas they were asking for?
1: Bible would be my g- first guess. Yeah,
0: scripture. Not a clue. Number one. Nuts. <laughs> number two. Sugar,
1: but don't you still get that? I mean, do do you? I mean, Santa always brought me nuts in my stocking.
0: Now he brings like oranges and no, yeah, these days. But no, but no, fruit but not. Be,
1: he see, he brought that because that was special too. Citrus fruit was very hard to come by mm-hmm. in the winter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he would bring candy and oranges and nuts. So that, that's how old so, I am, Glenn.
0: You know so, something that we did? <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Something yeah. that we did la- last year for the first time because we've got five kids and the commercialization is just getting yeah. out of control. Mm-hmm. Before they could open up any of their Christmas presents, we went as a family to an old folks home and sang carols. Uh-huh. So it took away the jumping out of bed, running downstairs, tearing into the presents and that whole... You, know, you that did we that grow, in the morning. We do that in the morning before the kids could ever open up anything. Oh my we gosh, went. you are the devil, Dad! No,
1: How <laughs> because no, I mean, from it the
0: I mean, the kids, God yes. bless you. From the kids' point of view, my dad used <laughs> to us go to the old folk song. <laughs> <laughs> but the man. spirit it brought was just amazing. I bet. I, I bet, bet that changed. Bet. There was a uh, five or six families that did it last year uh, from the from the congregation. I keep was, saying for Thanksgiving. I keep saying to the family that we should go serve at a soup kitchen. Forget our... Let's bring the whole family down, go to soup kitchen and have Thanksgiving and, and make somebody else... I can't get a single person in my family to go along with me, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> oh, some but we other turkey. Saturday, whatever we could do that. <laughs> not on Thanksgiving. All right. What is
1: the secret okay. that you guys are holding in your hands that I keep interrupting and not so letting you? Get
0: I it. have a copy of it, but this is this is the real deal here. This is no, the this way this is it what it looked like uh, when it appeared. I mean, of course, it was a little bit smaller, but this is the um, the article—the one about Virginia. Okay, so you've never heard this. Mary's never heard yes. this either. Okay, this is from the Sun newspaper, um, and this was uh, 1897, and it was a letter to the editor, okay? From a little eight-year-old. From an eight-year-old girl.
1: Eight years old.
0: We take wow. pleasure in answering once and thus uh, prominently the communication below, expressing the same time our great gratification that is our faithful author is numbered among the friends of the Sun. This is an eight-year-old girl. She writes, dear editor, because she asks her parents, is Santa Claus real? And her parents say, I don't know, ask the sun, okay? The sun, it's like the end of uh, It's a Wonderful, not It's a Wonderful Life, but the Miracle on 34th Street. Is the post office going to lie? Is the sun going to lie? Dear editor, I'm eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon, West 95th Street, New York. Virginia writes the Sun, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by skeptic- uh, skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, as compared to the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist and you know that they abound and give your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary it would be of the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance, to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in the sense and sight. The eternal light which childhood fills the world would all be extinguished not to believe in Santa Claus. You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if they did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus. But there is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those things that neither children nor men can see or hear. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's not proof that there are not, they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine of all of the wonders that are there unseen in the unseeable world. You can tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside, but there is a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man or even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, fancy, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture the supernatural beauty and glory, uh, glory beyond. Wow. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia. In all this world, there is nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus. Thank God he lives, and he lives forever forever. And a 1,000 years from now, Virginia, nay, 10 times 10,000 years from now, he will continue to make glad the hearts of childhood.
1: So I don't know if it was um, how you read it, because you have a special way of reading, (laughs) or if it's that it really has been taken out. I've heard this letter, though, so many times, and I've never heard the God references like I just heard it then. So I think it gets trimmed. I mean, obviously, it's... Tr- it-
0: but there are no God references in it. That's what's amazing about this. This is, to me, this is the difference. Faith? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This is the difference between... This is the debate that C.S. Lewis had with um, Narnia, Narnia, with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. The, the The question between them was, one was more obvious... One wasn't. Which one spoke more of the truth of God and would be more powerful? As I read this, there's no God in it, but it's all God. It's Mm -hmm. all God. So I don't know what I would have edited out to make God. It might have been just in the way somebody else was reading it to you, but because it's all God. And that's, I think that's the point of the sleigh bell mm-hmm. and the Santa glove is they're not separate. They're not separate. It's, it is is the spirit of Christmas that we see through Santa. Could be just a mall Santa, but when Santa is truly alive in a home, It is truly the Spirit of Christ.